Welcome to the latest readout video from the Climate Discussion Nexus. I'm John Robson. Or, if not, we either did the animation thing again, or there's been a major misunderstanding. As may also be the case when it comes to climate change. And now, if I had a hat, I would pass it to you. Because we depend on your contributions to produce our videos and our newsletter. Please subscribe, share it with your friends, and support our work so we can continue to produce it. The debate over man-made global warming has been dominated, to put it mildly, by the assumption that the world is warming and will continue to warm, possibly at an accelerating pace. And I don't want to get into the man-made thing here, Well, we will get there. I want to talk about a much more fundamental point, namely, that if the Earth isn't warming, we can't be causing it to warm. So, what if it's not? I realize one swallow doesn't make a summer, nor one frost a cooling trend. But when an NBC email says, quote, 21 runners die in extreme weather at mountainous ultramarathon in China, end quote, you'd naturally assume it was due to heat. But actually, it was cold. And the fact that spring was unusually cool in a lot of places raises a very serious possibility. That the warming trend since around 1880 was partly natural, partly an artifact due to the urban heat island and various increasingly suspicious adjustments of government statistics to keep the panic going, and over. And if it is, there's going to be a lot of explaining to do. By explaining, I don't mean concocting elaborate theoretical ways in which humans could be causing a trend that's not even happening, although we are certainly getting such things. I mean explaining why there was such a rush to embrace those concoctions, and to declare the evidence unquestionable when it was anything but. And here I don't just mean widely disregarded evidence that temperature drives CO2, not the reverse. I mean the widespread, aggressively enforced consensus that something was making temperatures rise relentlessly when, in fact, they weren't. Which brings us to the ongoing saga of various trolls and worse trying to discredit Stephen Coonan so as to avoid the inconvenient truths in his book Unsettled. And if you're wondering what's worse than trolls going, quote, not a climate scientist, end quote, and muttering darkly about an oil company, Will Happer, and a fake expert, try Facebook relying on some fact-checkers at climatefeedback.org who might better be described as fact-stoppers, and who rubbished Coonan's book, based not on reading it, but on a Wall Street Journal review prior to its publication. As the journal noted in response, these fact-checkers actually substituted vague conjecture for solid fact. Coonan responded with commendable robustness that, quote, Facebook's fact-checkers criticized what they imagined I wrote based on a 900-word review, rather than what I did write in a book of more than 75,000 words. They're no better than trolls who pan political adversaries' books on Amazon without bothering to read them. It's not the behavior of serious scientists, and it demonstrates the need for a book like Unsettled. Which, among other things, debunks the notion of an increase in extreme weather, again raising the question, why is so much energy still being expended to blame humans for causing something that's fairly obviously not even happening? And on yelling, do something, while not doing it. Thus, the International Energy Agency's lovely 400-plus point plan for no more fossil fuels starting yesterday, which we discussed in our previous newsletter and video, was promptly, implicitly rejected by the American government and the Australian one, and explicitly by the British, while the Polish government has called the EU's reduction plans unfair to poorer countries, and in Germany, whose green energy policy is an expensive mess, 
Chancellor Angela Merkel said nein danke to calls to ditch coal sooner than 2038, commenting grimly, quote, those affected need some reliability on the path to climate neutrality. I don't want to unravel this again after one year, end quote. Which again raises a question we've mentioned before. To the doom and gloomers, time is running out. So will they put up or shut up? To give credit where due, three authors in the conversation, one with a PhD in politics, another with a PhD in atmospheric physics, and the third an ex-journalist, thus they were labeled, quote, three respected climate scientists, end quote, by Climate Home News, so apparently those degrees count if you're on the right side of the issue. Anyway, they recently acknowledged that some net zero pledges are mere greenwashing, including those shun your carbon and burn it to offsets. And they said it's time to stop pretending and crack down on greenhouse gases. But it's hard. For instance, the British government, whose sincerity is not in question, just its competence, brought in this problematic plan to outlaw gas boilers by 2035 and make everyone install heat pumps instead. But now it's sort of backed off as the appalling cost and limited usefulness of the plan become clear, but what is a zealot in power to do? It's hardly adequate to allow boilers that can burn natural gas or hydrogen if there's no guarantee they'll ever do the latter, just as the trendy plan to ban petrol and diesel cars suddenly looks like a very bad idea as Britons realize that objects in calendar are closer than they appear. And out in the formerly golden state, an NBC story headline, quote, Californians warned to brace for another summer of energy blackouts, end quote, quoted the head of the state's power grid operator that, quote, guarded optimism is a reasonable way to state it, end quote. Which makes you wonder what he'd consider grounds for pessimism. And, in the same vein, the Canadian government maintains a sunny insistence that it will meet all its climate targets despite never having met one yet. And the one practical option, nuclear power with new and upgraded designs, remains largely taboo, almost as if most of these people were not serious thinkers. The newsletter also notes that some alarmists, depressed by the results of politics on climate, are trying to bypass legislators in that messy old public via the courts. Thus, a Dutch court just ordered Royal Dutch Shell to, quoting Politico, quote, cut its own CO2 emissions and those of its suppliers and customers by 45% by the end of 2030 from 2019 levels, end quote. And that was in a story with the headline, Powerful Signal. In a single day, big oil suffers historic blows on climate. Courts, customers, and Wall Street delivered rebukes to ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Shell, end quote. None of which makes alternative energy work any better, or fossil fuels any less essential, it just makes the latter less available. Unless, of course, customers start buying them from other sources, an option judges may have trouble grasping because their customers don't have it. Now, speaking of alternative energy having problems, we also discuss a new paper from the Global Warming Policy Forum that warns that solar panels are chewing up Britain's shrinking farmland, due partly to a mistaken conviction that alternative energy has a small footprint and that there will always be food just because, and due partly to a very specific policy error that makes it easy to convert ordinary agricultural land to industrial uses. And yes, solar farms might sound organic, but they're industrial in the worst sense of that word, meaning toxic waste generating ugly, swelling lots on the landscape. Speaking of declining space for nature, this week's Dare You to Post It on Facebook challenge concerns trees. Specifically, quote, I thought the Greens want us to be nice to trees. Well, global warming is exactly what trees want. It will accelerate tree growth, and as long as the forest industry adapts, the result will be more trees and lower costs for wood 
which will benefit consumers everywhere. Poor countries near the equator stand to gain too. About the only downside is wood may drop in price so much that the big forest companies in, North Euro in Northern Europe and North America lose revenue. Other than that, it's win-win all over, end quote. Which once again comes from, you guessed it, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Specifically in their fifth assessment report, it's 2013, Working Group 2, Chapter 10, Section 10.5.1.2, which says, quote, including adaptation in forest management, climate change will accelerate tree growth. This will reduce prices to the benefit of consumers everywhere. Low to mid-latitude producers will benefit too as they switch to short rotation forest plantations. Mid to high-latitude producers will be hurt by lower prices while their productivity increases only modestly, end quote. In the newsletter, we also serve some scallops, thanks to CO2Science.org, specifically wrapped in a paper that tests the theory that so-called ocean acidification will clobber these and many other marine species by dissolving their shells. Apparently, the Antarctic scallop, at a museum called Becky to its friends, doesn't agree, and nor do Pacific oysters, Crossostria gigas, when tested in the real world, not the lab. So, if you prefer facts and logic to insults and cancellation, please continue to subscribe and support us. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. Yes, really.